I'm going to be starting a, a sermon series in the book of James. So if you want to turn to your Bibles to the book of James, uh, and that's what it's going to be called. It's going to be called the Epistle of James. Amen. Like, it's pretty fancy, isn't it? And we're going to work through this book piece by piece. We may take a break. I, I, I struggle with commitments. I may quit halfway through. I don't know. Uh, but we'll follow the Lord with it. I feel like this has been on my heart for a while to go through this book, and I like to do a book study on occasion because every now and then, you know what, it's one thing for a preacher to get up and just take verses out of context and just use it to build his own message, but there's something about it. Every now and then, you just need to go through the Bible and let the Word of God say what it needs to say to you. Because you can skip over all kinds of things, and sometimes you just need to go through it and say, what is the Word of God? What's the Scripture saying? And so we're going to get into James and look through some of this, but James chapter 1, I'm going to read the first eight verses, and then we'll jump into it. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Counting all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. God, we acknowledge the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit. God, that anoints the word of God, brings it to life for us and makes it living and active. And so, Father, I pray that as we open it, Lord, you would open our hearts and our minds to receive it. And, Lord, there's people in here this morning that they are currently going through difficulties and trials. And I believe that by the end of this service, because of your word, because of their, your, your spirit, God, we can be strengthened to face those trials with your power, with your love, and with your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So James is a book that's actually written by Jesus' baby brother. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that. So James is Jesus' baby brother. And I, I think as I'm reading through this book, like, one of the things is, what would it be like to be Jesus' baby brother? Like, if, you, if you're going to get in a fight with your brother, I look at little kids all the time. Like, my niece and nephew yesterday just going buck wild at one another. You know what I'm talking about? My niece come over, punch me in the face with a metal cup. Uh, uh, you know, and, the, and, and brothers and sisters just beat up on each other and stuff like that. So you're dealing with that. And I'm thinking about growing up with, with Jesus as your big brother. And here's the thing, like, if you get in an argument with your brother, guess what? You're wrong. Every time, without fail. I mean, if Mary's in the other room and, and she hears him in there, somebody trying to fight with Jesus, it's like, James, just go ahead and whip yourself. We already know it's you, bro. You're in the wrong. And, and so writing, but here's the other thing about this, is that when you see that James is literally Jesus' brother, that lets us know something because nobody knows you like your family, do they? Like, I was talking to somebody the other day. People was like, man, you're just such a great guy. You're just such a great pastor. I'm like, well, let's ask Andrea and find out the real truth. Because nobody knows you like your family. And the fact that James is saying he is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, he doesn't call him, I'm a servant of my brother Jesus Christ. He says, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that he calls him Lord means something very significant. He saw this man's life from beginning to end, and he ended up seeing his resurrection. But he goes through this, and in the beginning of this book, he opens it up basically talking about the fact that, listen, if you're going to go through this life, you're going to experience pain, you're going to experience trials, you're going to experience suffering, but he's trying to give us a mindset when we go through this life of trials and of pain and of suffering. And he says, listen, you're going to find a trial, and your trial is going to find you, but when it does find you, you can find God over your trial. You can find joy in it, and you can find wisdom through it. Amen. You go through a trial, you can find God over it, you can find joy in it, and you're going to find wisdom through it when you go through difficulties in your life. So in James 1.1, notice he opens up, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. 
Now get this, what is a dispersion? What he's saying is, whenever the Christians were first becoming Christians, the majority of them were Jewish people. And guess what it turns out, I don't know if you can believe this or not, but sometimes governments are bad. You agree with that, right? And so the government at that particular time, they hated Christians. Jewish people in Israel hated Christians, and the Roman government hated Christians, and they were persecuting them, and it was causing them to run and disperse and hide and stay away from that place. And so he's writing him a, writing him a letter, and it's coming from James, and he knows the best because here's the thing. If James is saying, I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying, guess what? This man who claimed to ra be raised from the dead, he actually did rise from the dead. This man who claims to be sinless, I watched his life. This man was actually sinless. Nobody knew better than James. But here's the thing. They had some difficulties with their family. Mary and Joseph had a big family. You know, the Catholics actually believed that Mary was a perpetual virgin. That means that they, they, not only was she a virgin when she had Jesus, but she remained a virgin throughout the rest of her life. I don't think that's true because the Bible clearly states that Mary and Joseph, they had other kids. Matter of fact, lots of other kids. Jesus had sisters. He had brothers. And so they had these. And if you read in little, little tiny verses throughout Scripture, like one time a crowd gathers at Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, and he's teaching them, and people are gathering around them, and maybe there's talk that he is the Messiah. And it says specifically in the book of Mark that his family comes out and tries to seize him to take him back to the house because they, they said that he is out of his mind. How many of y'all know sometimes the, the person that ain't going to be behind you the most is your family members? Anybody amen me? Like they probably, a lot of times it's your family members. You're trying to go further in with Jesus, it's your family members that are holding you back sometimes, sadly. You're going through the worst trial of your life, and rather than encourage you, it's your family members that continue to drag you down. Don't have any confidence in you. Don't have any faith in you. Jesus experienced this. When he first stepped out into ministry, his family rejected him. James was not a believer in the beginning. Mary's mom was over here pondering it, but she you know, was still wrestling with it. And they, they watched him grow up. They watched him live as a boy. They watched him go through difficult times. And they're wrestling with this. It goes on to say that, that whenever he was with all of these, they said, look, man, isn't this guy, isn't this the, the, the brother of James and of Joseph and of Simon and all these? And are not his sisters here? And it says in his hometown, because his family was there and because they all knew him, that he could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. That's what he said. And he said he marveled at their unbelief because they didn't believe in who he was. And so he's going through that. Matter of fact, John 7, 5 says, not even his brothers believed in him. So you're looking at James, which is now a believer. So what is it that happened in James' life that made him a believer when he was doubting the whole time? Well, the Scripture says when Jesus died on the cross, guess who was there? His, his family knew it happened. Mary, his mother, watched it firsthand, watched him die on the cross. James, his brother, knows that he's buried. That's his brother. But on the third day, he rose again. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, it says, Then Jesus appeared to James, then to all the apostles. I don't know, that'd probably do something for me, wouldn't it, for you? If you watched your brother die... And then three days later, you see him in a glorified body looking you in the eye, speaking to you, talking to you. And so James is writing this scripture to the, the, the dispersed Christians that are fighting and suffering persecution. And listen, he doesn't do a name drop. Matter of fact, when he uses the word servant, it's actually the word slave. He's saying, I am a slave. I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not, Je not going to lift myself up as Jesus' brother. Like if it was me, I'd be like, yeah, like I'm James. You know what I'm talking about? Jesus is my brother. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. Uh, so you should probably listen to me. Um, Mary, I'm, you may have heard of her, the mother of God. It's my mom too, so I mean, I don't know where that puts me. But uh, I mean, I would have name dropped. I would have done something to elevate myself. But he says, no, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so James knows about trials because James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And guess what? He wrote this somewhere in the 60s A.D., about 30 years after Jesus' death. And right after he writes this letter and it goes out to the dispersed church folk, so to speak, throughout the land, guess what? He is murdered by the Pharisees. They stone him to death in Jerusalem and he dies for the sake of Christ. 
And so he knows about trials, but he knows the trials that they're going through at this time. And that's why he starts the letter with the very first verse after his greetings in, in verse 2 saying this. And this, this verse is tough, y'all. You ready for this? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, I want you to think about that because we live in a world that if we're being honest, it, honestly, our world lacks joy. Like it is just a world that is under the weight of everything that is going on, the pandemic, the wars, all kinds of political division and craziness and gas prices and all that. And we find more things to complain about, myself included, than we do to find things to be joyful about. And we get caught up under the weight of everything that is going on. We slip into depression. We slip into anxiety, into fear, into worry. All these things are flooding our life. And he says, when you go through these things, guess what? Count it all joy, brothers. And I'm thinking, who does that? Anybody, I want to know if there was somebody in here this morning that when your trials hit, you're just like, praise God. I want, I want to know somebody that does that this morning because that's not my initial response. My initial response to trials is aggravation. It's frustration. Maybe even anger. I get angry a little bit sometimes whenever I go through trials. When hard times hit me, I, there's this initial sense of what the heck, man. Like, why am I having to deal with this? Why am I having to go through this? And he's saying, no, you've got to get, as a Christian believer, you've got to get a different mindset. Because here's the thing. You're living in a world that's messed up and broken, and trials are going to come, period. So what happens is, is maybe, just maybe, by the grace of God, you can fix your mindset so that when trials come, you can say, praise God, this is going to do something in my life. That's the perspective that he's trying to bring in. This word, trial, this word trials in the Greek language, and sometimes I like to do Greek studies. Y'all know how it is. But if you look at the word, it's that word right there. And here's what it, a good definition of it is. A difficult set of circumstances that comes to reveal the truth about who you are. You know what I'm talking about? Like this week, some minor inconveniences hit my life. And you know what happened? I got angry and frustrated and self-centered. And it was like the Lord saying to me, you know what, is this who you really are right here, Clay? Or are you just letting the old man, the flesh, the old nature rise up in you because you sense that you're overwhelmed? But see, the Lord will use that to correct you by His Spirit and say, you need to make some changes in this area because the real you is coming to the surface when the pressure gets put on and it comes to reveal the truth about who you are. And we look at it as a difficulty, like, man, I don't, I don't want that. I don't want, I don't want to see that. Because if I'm going to be holy, put it like this, like if we're going to live holy Christian lives, we need everything to be in order. Because if something gets out of order and somebody aggravates me and frustrates me and doesn't do what I want them to do, how am I going to be able to respond to holiness with that? Let me tell you something. To be holy means that you don't demand perfection in the world around you. It means that you can take whatever is given you in this life and you can respond with the love of God. And let me tell you something, I ain't there yet, but by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, I see in Scripture that this is what He's calling us to, that when we go through difficulty, we don't respond like the world responds. We respond with holiness and purity and love and joy. And I'm praying, God, please do this in me. It's funny because I was going through this message this week and it was almost like the Lord caused it to happen in me and purpose just to experience it firsthand of like, of like what, what actually happens when we go through these things. See, there's going, they're going to happen. And what's funny about this word trial is in some places it's translated trial. In other places it's translated temptation. The question is, well, what is it, Clay? Is it a trial or is it a temptation? That depends on your response. It depends on your response. Because what God will allow for a trial to test you and shape you, Satan will use as a temptation to lure you. And you've got to figure out how you're going to respond. When Jesus was in the wilderness, the Scripture says He went into the wilderness to be tested. And who came to Him? Literally in the Greek, the tester, and they translate it the tempter. So he comes to use your difficulties as a time of temptation to get you to take the bait on something else. While God says, I'm going to put them to the test to see whether or not they'll reject Satan's temptations and choose me, and I will refine them in the process. 
And this is a big deal in the Christian life because on each hand, when you go through a difficult circumstance, you got the devil on one side, you got God on the other trying to shape you and lead you in the place where you're going to go. So what are your trials? Right now, y'all are going through trials, right? Now, you're trying to make decisions with your family. Maybe you're dealing with, 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 with barrenness or, or maybe you're dealing with some kind of illness or, or maybe something's going on with your child. It's just messing with you. I mean, maybe you're just dealing with some mean people. Anybody ever deal with mean people in the world? You don't know how to process them. You got relational conflict. Maybe many of you come in here, you got financial issues. Maybe somebody lost a job recently. You're worried about money and, and how all this stuff. And trials come on, on different levels. Here's what's crazy about our world today is trials right now are global. You didn't have global trials until recently, honestly. I mean, until the past 20, 30 years anyway. But I mean, we talk about global trials. I remember as a, you know, this is, who knows what really happened over there, but we joked around whenever the first time happened. You know, when, when I got COVID the first time, I said, you know what? A dude ate a bat in Wuhan, and here I am over here, can't taste my food. That's global. Well, I, who knows where Wuhan even is? And it impacted the world. And we go through a global trial together. And then there are local trials. We'll have flooding in, 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 in one area where it just floods here. And in Clay County, we feel the effect of that. We, we have local trials. And then, then we have personal trials. Like I said, we're dealing with financial difficulties. And they can come in a variety of ways. But when you're going through life, in every season of your life, on some level, there's always some joy to find in it. And there's always a trial that you're going through on some level or another. It's just the reality of life. It's how we work through it. And really, the people that get through it the best are the ones that develop a godly attitude toward it. They develop a godly attitude toward life. They, they understand the reality of life, and they learn by Scripture and by the Spirit of God how to work through these. But here's the thing. This is one of the things that I've been experiencing. Whenever we went through 2020, at the beginning of 2021, I preached a, a sermon that was really, it was only about grief. And it was the most listened to sermon that we've ever preached out, out of this place. Because people were going through what psychologists call complex grief. They would lose a loved one. They were dealing with financial issues. They were isolated from COVID. They had extreme fear of sickness and all. And so they dealt with complex grief because one hit was coming right after another. And as they're dealing, they don't even have time to process. So they just start to shut down internally. And they're dealing with the weight of everything that's going on and their trials start to overwhelm them. And here's what I want to say. When you talk about trials, what I don't think that, that James is doing is negating what his brother Jesus said, which is look, like, look, when you're, when you're, you need to grieve sometimes. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When you lose a loved one, when you're going through trials, guess what? You need to grieve your losses. Let God heal you so that you can move forward. But can I tell you, when you're going through trials, and when James is speaking specifically about these trials, they're dealing with persecution. Some of their brothers and sisters are being killed for the sake of the gospel. He says, you're dealing with this, but you need an eternal perspective. And while you're going through it, you can find joy in the midst of this, even though you are grieving, even though you are dealing with some of these things. So every season has both good and bad, but the key is how are we going to find joy in it? And he says, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let me give you this, this little quote here. Life is a class that is always in session, and every season has its test. Life is a class that is always in session, and every season has its test. And here's the thing. If you pass the test, you can graduate to the next level of maturity. I remember, here's the good news. How many of y'all, you feel like you failed a test recently? You know what I'm talking about? Like you went through a season in life and you just blew it and you just went off on somebody. Like I, I, Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Nobody, everybody's quiet. I remember, I remember when I was a freshman in high school, how many of you had Miss Wolf in, in, in biology? Anybody in here? Praise God. That's a test right there, son. And I love Miss Wolf, probably one of the greatest teachers to ever come out of Clay County, I would imagine. But no doubt, without question, when I hit freshman advanced biology, hardest class, that class was harder than when I took college biology. And I'm not playing. And so me, I, like, I wasn't the best student in the world, but I like, I like to get good grades. I was about that. You know what I'm talking about? I was in competition with people. I was trying to get A's and stuff. And, uh, and, and so I come in there, and we had one of our first tests. And, and th this tell you how old I am. 
I, I, it was 2001, I was a freshman in high school. It was right after uh, 9-11. And we took one of our, one of our first big major tests uh, in 2001, and I was sitting there in the back, and she had this thing timed. And it was a brood of a test. And she hollered, time's up! And when she said time's up, I kid you not, I probably had 40% of the test done. And man, I, I, I wigged out. I couldn't take that pressure. I said, what in the world are you talking about, time's up? And everybody looked at me like, what is he doing? And, and, and she saw the turmoil in my heart and in my mind because of my condition, and she ended up backing down and letting me finish the test, and she let other people stay after. And here's what I want to say is, really, that's God's heart toward us. Just because you fail the test or you fall short or you don't do it within the time length, guess what? God going to give you another chance. He's going to give you another opportunity to pass the test because His goal is to take you from glory to glory, from faith to faith. He does not want you to fail and stand over you and condemn you and say, look, you ain't going to make it. You failed, bro. No, He says, my mercies are new every morning. You may have failed it here, but here's another test. You get a retake. I want you to graduate to the next level because my goal in your life is for you to mature into Christ's likeness so that I can get my glory out of your life. And so, man, I failed a lot of tests, but guess what? At every juncture, God's given me a chance to retake the test. And when I retake it, there's a new measure of grace that comes in. But see, you've got to be tested. 1 Peter 1.7 says the same thing. It says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than, that, than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So notice that phrase, the testing of your faith. How many of your faith has been tested? Forrest talked about this last week. The difficulties that we go through with our faith. Can we trust God? Is God good? What's going on in this situation where it seems like things are just falling through? God's not coming through. And he says the genuineness of your faith, it's more precious than gold that perishes. He says it needs to be tested by fire. What's he talking about? The Bible says the crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, and the Lord tests the hearts. Back in the day, when you had money, you used silver, you used gold, something like that. That was currency. And in order for them to know whether or not this was real gold or it was counterfeit, they'd have to take it through what was called a fire assay. And they'd put fire to it. And the heat would get so hot that it would cause it to melt down and all of the base metals, the dross, would rise to the top. And do you know that when God puts you through the fire... All of the base stuff in your life, all of the impurities are going to start rising to the top. And you start to feel like, and at that point what happens is Satan comes knocking on your door and says, yeah, you're trash, man. You ain't no Christian. You ain't meant to go to church Sunday. Anybody ever heard that one? I tell you, when the, when the dross is rising to the top and you are at your worst, you need to come into the house of God and worship the Lord and be thankful to the one that washed you in His blood Right? That you, look, I, I know some of you, you've been through a bad season and you're wondering, I don't even know if I'm a Christian anymore. I don't even know if I can follow Jesus. And Jesus said, no, we're going to let a little dross rise to the top. We're going to remove that, but this is just a season. And so he's taking us through this. Do you remember when the three Hebrew children, they were tested in their faith? The three Hebrew children, King Nebuchadnezzar comes out with a big golden image. He says, look, boys, when the music plays, you better bow down and worship. And if you don't, I'm going to put you in that furnace of fire. And they said, look, Here's the thing. God can deliver us. He's able to, and He will deliver us. But even if He doesn't, O King, we are not bowing down and worshiping your false gods, so do what you need to do. He turned it up seven times hotter. The heat was so hot that it killed the men that threw the three Hebrew children in. And when he looked, when the king looked into the fire, he said, Oh, didn't we put three men in there and bind them up. He said, but now I'm looking in and there's a fourth man in the fire and every single one of them are unbound. What I'm telling you is that sometimes the fire needs to come because some of you are not going to experience the power of Jesus Christ to set you free from your shackles until you go into the fire and that's where Jesus is, is in the fire with you, refining you, purifying you. And that's why James says you can count it all joy because when you go through the trial and you go through the fire, Jesus is going to be in the middle of that fire with you. And if you don't go into it, you're never going to get to experience that. It's going to push you into Jesus. It's going to reveal Jesus. The problem with our generation, 
I'm talking about our generation, us, whatever we, they call us now. I don't even know. Millennials and Gen Xers or whatever y'all are. We're talking about how the people dress nowadays. It's funny. You know, I better not get into that. Let's stay, let's stay coarse. But the problem with us is that we're so entitled that basically if we want more money and God doesn't give it to us, it's just like, this stuff don't even work. As if God is your genie that you can just kind of rub the bottle anytime you want to and he'll give you what you want. Let me tell you something. We don't use God. God uses us. We live for his glory, not him for ours. And so God takes us through all kinds of things, but our lives are yielded to God for His purposes. You remember, it's all throughout Scripture. Abraham, his faith was put to the test. God gives him a promise at the age of 75, says, I'm going to give you children, and through your children, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed because Christ is going to come through your kids. He's 75 years old. He said, boys, how's this going to work? Not to, to, to rub salt into the wound, the promise doesn't come to pass until he's 100 25 years he's waiting on this promise to come to pass and God is testing his faith to see whether he'll believe when it gets hard waiting. Joseph, the same thing. I love what it says about Joseph because Joseph has a dream that he's going to rule and reign over his brothers and they're going to bow down in obedience to him. You know what his brothers say? Well, we don't like that dream, Joseph. We're going to throw you into a pit. They tried to kill him. One guy said, hey, let's don't kill him. Just throw him in a pit. We'll let him go to slavery. So he ends up becoming enslaved with some Midianites. He goes out to a place... And he becomes a slave in a house. But by the favor of God, he rises to the top. He's being purified in the process. And then, once he rises to the top, Potiphar, his, his master's wife, basically says, hey, this, this dude's tried to, he's tried to come on to me. He gets put into prison. Now he's in prison. For, at this point, i got to be honest with you. I would have said, you know that dream I had? False prophecy. That's wrong. Like those Trump prophets, you know what I'm talking about? They just wasn't right. And that's what I would have said at that point. I'd be like, how is it, God, you're going to give me a promise from the Word? You're going to give me a promise and then make me go through all of these trials? Because here's the thing. When God gives you a promise and He shows you something you want to do in your life, He needs to test your heart to see whether or not you're going to be willing to have the character it takes to maintain the gift He wants to give you. And so through that process, I love what it says. I didn't give you this verse for us, but Psalm 105, 19, it says specifically about Joseph that until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. And God will give you promises and show you things in your heart and give you desires. And then all of a sudden, it's not there. And you're wondering, what in the world's going on? You know, I was talking to Andrea about this a little bit this week. And, you know, we are talking about trials that we've been through. And, 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 for her, her dream was always to have a house full of kids. She's just always wanted to be a mom. And so when we found out we couldn't have kids, that was one of the greatest trials of our life. I mean, and it, and it just, it wrecked her to her core. It was like everything that she desired just all of a sudden was being attacked and undermined because she couldn't have children. But what I watched during that season, what God allowed me to watch even in her, was how he was purifying her heart. Like, like other people would get pregnant, and let me tell you something, we got, how many, we got a lot of people get pregnant in here, y'all. I mean, I, it's, it's, um, right now we probably got 12 in here sitting pregnant right now. And, and so what would happen is we're sitting there with this, with this word over our lives, y'all can't have children. And everybody else, hey, we're pregnant, hey, we're pregnant. And it's difficult to rejoice with them when you can't have the same gift. And what God did in her life was, was say, Andrea, you need to be able to rejoice with them even when you don't have this gift. What you're called to is to love them and, 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 and be so happy for them and not let... And she worked through that and I watched her rejoice with woman after woman getting pregnant and going through this. And then I watched her heart being refined and not only that, but I watched her say over and over again, she said, you know what, this has broken me, but I know God is good and I'm fixing my heart on that reality that if He's not doing what, he, what I want right now, He's doing something better in the future. 
And she said, you know what? What I found is that I am going to be content in God and God is enough for me and what He's given me in Jesus Christ is more than I ever need for the rest of my life. If He never gives me another gift, He's given me the greatest gift and that is Himself. And I will live in contentment of that right there. And see, what's happening is there's this purifying thing in your heart so that when you do receive what God has for you, your heart is not fixed based on that gift because then you just become a selfish, spoiled little brat. What if you give your kid everything they want when they want it? They become entitled. They expect it to come. And God said, no, I need a clean heart. I need somebody purified that's been tested in fire so that when I give them power, when I give them authority, when I give them elevation, when I bring them into a spot, they've got the character to maintain it. And they don't come up with some kind of a weird false theology. You know, we pray. I mean, somebody, people would prophesy over us. You know what I'm talking about? And, and prophesy babies and this and that. And somebody said, boy, all you need to do, you need to anoint yourself with oil. And I believe in anointing oil, y'all. We, we would anoint with oil. We did everything you could do. But if we had done that, I think, if we had done that, let's just, and I, I, don't, I didn't even plan to go this direction, but if we had done that, here's the thing. What if it had happened? Well, then we would have, our testimony would have been, hey, you're going through a difficulty? Come up here. We'll anoint you with oil. It'll work. You know what I'm talking about? That's just not the way that life works all the time. It's not the way the kingdom works all the time. I believe in miracles. We pray for miracles. But sometimes you've got to go through trials because God is doing something that you don't fully understand in the moment. The testing of your faith produces in this word, I use the ESV because I like that translation the best, steadfastness. If you put that word up there for me, steadfastness. Now here's the Greek word. I know y'all love Greek. Man, they should never taught me how to read it. It was a bad time. But this word right here is very... So, so hupo means under. Mone means to stay, literally. So the word steadfastness means that you stay under. I want you to think about that. The testing of your faith produces in you the ability to stay under. Well, who wants to do that? Who wants to stay under difficulties? He's literally saying that this produces in you the ability to go through hard times and when you're under the pressure, you can just stay there and remain and take it and say, I'm not going to run from this because here's the thing. In your human nature, every time you go through a difficulty, your innate nature says, get out of this. Run, avoid it. We don't want no part of this. And he's saying, no, what you need is to develop some steadfastness, some ability to stay under, under hardship and hold on to God and say, no matter what I got to go through, I've got Jesus Christ. I've got Jesus Christ and I'm not letting go because Him, let me tell you something. This world most likely, I hate to tell you, probably ain't going to get a whole lot better. Like more trials are coming. You ain't have, and, and, and I'm not trying to get you set up. People talk all the time, I'm just waiting for the next bad thing to happen. Well, guess what? The next bad thing probably will happen. But when it happens, you can be girded up with strength with the Holy Spirit knowing that when it happens, God's going to be there waiting on me with sufficient grace to get me through it and the power of the Holy Spirit to make wise decisions. And He will shape me and change me and He will use it for His glory because He is over it all. And therefore, I can find joy in it. But see, when trials come, they disrupt our normal life. And here's some things that trials do other than just disrupting our normal life. Nobody likes their normal life disrupted, did they? You know what aggravated me this week is I had a schedule. And like one thing right after another interrupted my schedule. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And sometimes you just got to give your schedule to God. <laughs> and say, Lord, I... We'll let what happens happen. It'll be all right. And he had to work that in my heart to be free and let it go and not worry about it as much. But see, number one, what they do when they disrupt your normal life is they also strip away objects of faith other than God. You start, we deal with uh, pandemics or we deal with the, you can deal with all kinds of things. Here's the thing, you can put your faith in your job to supply you the money until all of a sudden that job's gone. You get laid off. Now where's your provision? You find out that you were actually putting your faith in that job to be your supplier rather than God. You put your faith in money. You're secure as long as you got this much in your bank account. Then all of a sudden when that money starts to dip, you start freaking out. You start feeling the pressure because why? Your faith is in the money and not in God himself. It strips away other objects of faith 
that are in place of God. You put your faith in the medical industry as good as it is, thank God, that sometimes, you know, here's the thing. If my leg gets cut off right here in just a minute, take me to the doctor. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, I thank God that that, that they can do that. Y'all can lay hands on me and pray for me on the way. That'd be great. But let's let them sew it up. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that anointing oil may seal it. I ain't doubting that. But sometimes we need the doctor. But sometimes, too, we can put our faith in those things as opposed to putting our faith in God. And so it strips away these other objects of faith that we might put in place of God. And secondly, it reveals our true selves. We already talked about this. Like, your, 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 your character flaws, when you go through trials, your true self comes to the surface. You find out, man, I'm way... Like, what the pandemic did for a lot of people was make them find out just how anxious and fearful they really are in their hearts. So that they could start to deal with just, man, how insecure am I? Like, how fearful am I really? How is it that fear can just swoop in and dominate my life like that? And I mean, I'm saying, most of us went through it on some level. Like, I went through a season during that time of trying to navigate how to run church when you're doing online and all this weird stuff, where I about had a full-blown panic attack one time. Like, I was, I was overwhelmed with what was going on. You find out you're a fearful person, an anxious person. You find out you're an angry person. You're like, man, what's the deal here? But it also reveals others' true selves. When this bad stuff happens, you find out, like, your buddies, look, I go through a difficult time. You know what my friends do? They come alongside of me. They encourage me. They say, man, I'm with you. Even when you mess up, they're with you. But when the trials hit and they ain't really your friends and they can't get out of you what they want out of you anymore, they'll bail. They're done. You ain't going to give me what I want from you anymore now. I see you going through a hard time. You ain't going to help me out anymore. All right, I'm gone. Find out, man, that person really wasn't my friend, I guess. Number four, it reminds us what has gone wrong in the world and who alone can fix it. When you go through trials, guess what? It reminds you that this world is messed up. We're going to continue to go through broken things. And can I tell you this? There ain't a stimulus check. There's not a vaccine. There ain't a surgery. There is nothing that is going to fix this world except the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. You say... Well, if we get the right president in office, man, it's going to fix things. We'll get them gas prices back down. It will not fix the problems that are in our world. And you're looking for something that you're putting your hope in. It will not fix it. But if we could just get a bunch of Republicans elected, this thing would turn around. You're wrong. As much as I, look, as much as I want good people in office making good legislation and putting good, I want that. I want our country to flourish. I think that we should still fight for good things. But can I tell you that none of those things are going to fix the shape that we are in because sin is running rampant in the world and behind it is a power named Satan that is oppressing this world and influencing us and leading us down a demonic path. The only thing that's going to fix it is Jesus Christ and His return. And that's what we're waiting for. Number five, it reveals our contribution. Like, did I, did I actually do something that caused some of this trial? I mean, God forbid I should be held to blame for any of this. Somebody else has done this to cause this thing. But it starts to reveal, maybe, maybe I need to change some things in my own life. And then lastly, it simplifies life and reveals who and what truly matters. You know, you can be tore up about some pretty trivial stuff until some real bad things happen. We'd be sitting over here worried about some of the goofiest stuff in the world over here in America. Go over to Africa when you can't get a meal. Or over in Ukraine right now where you're wondering whether or not you're going to get bombed today. That stuff right there will strip away a lot of your trivial things. And sometimes it reveals what really matters. Who truly matters. Why am I giving this thing so much attention when I've got my family and my friends right in front of me here where I I need to love them? And I'm over here worried about this next thing going to happen. So when when these... tests come, here's how you're going to fail your test. Y'all ready for this? If these tests come, here's how I'm going to fail it. Number one, I'm going to try to avoid it. How many of you just do this? I used to do this as as a young person. Every time a trial came, I just self-medicated. I just get as drunk and as high as I could get. I mean, mean, I'm just telling you, y'all. I mean, that's why I would avoid it. And this is what people do. When people can't handle the abuse, the trauma, the difficulty of life, what they do is they try to numb themselves by self-medicating or they just say, I don't want to deal with that right now. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to deal with it. And they avoid it at all costs. 
He said, no, you're going to have to deal with your issues. Because you know what, you know what people say, like what people that deal with addiction, recovery, and stuff like that, they say that at the point that you started numbing yourself to your trials, that's the time that you stop developing. You stop developing at that age. Because you have to learn how to deal with difficulty and how to deal with your, with your trials. The moment you start, stop enduring is the moment that you stop maturing. You've got to endure some things. You've got to go through some difficulties. Se- secondly, you can try to fix it. How many of you out here, you're fixers? Like, I'm, I'm sometimes that way. Like, if something's going on with Andrea, I'm like, let's fix this thing. I'll call somebody. We'll get, and she, all she's wanting to do is talk to me. And I'm like, we need to fix this thing. And, and fixers are pushy, and they're demanding, and they want to control everything. And can I tell you, you can't control people. You can't change people's behavior. Sometimes you're going to go through trials, and you just have to stay under. And you have to go through it without fixing it. You're not going to be able to fix everything. And you're going to have to go through it. So number three, you can worry sick over it, man. You can get in a tears over everything that's going on. Even though Jesus has commanded us, do not worry, right? We're we like, uh, we ain't doing too good with that one, actually. Like, we think sometimes it's a spiritual virtue to worry as much as we possibly can. And we start thinking about the future, and we are our own worst false prophets, we start prophesying our own futures. This is never going to happen. We're going to be dead broke. Anybody do that over their lives? And you just worry sick thinking all of the worst case scenarios and you're not bringing God into the situation to bring you peace. Number four, you can just grind it out. You can just be like, you know what? I'm just going to keep going. Forget about it. And you just become cheerless, joyless, but you're just stern and just grinding it out, sticking it out. Number five, this is my favorite one. You can blame and complain. Like, when I go through a trial, I'm going to find somebody to blame, and then I'm going to complain about it until I get somebody to agree with me and be like, yeah, that's awful, man. That's terrible. I can't believe you're having to deal with that. Uh, I feel so bad for you. (laughs) Anybody do that? Yeah, yeah. You ain't going to pass your test that way. Matter of fact, the the children of Israel, 40-year journey, should have been 11 days. It says over and over again, they murmured and complained. And the Hebrew language does something really cool right there because the word complain is actually the word loon and it means to spend another night. In other words, God's saying when you go through your trial and all you can do is complain, you're going to stay another night right there. Amen. You're going to stay until you can learn how to rejoice. Man, this is why I'm still where I'm at. Boys, it'd be amazing where I could be. You know what I'm saying? If I wasn't such a complainer. Number six, you play the martyr. You're just like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to suffer for Christ's sake and just continue. continue. You know what? Jesus Christ suffered for your sake. And we're going to go through some sufferings, but that's not to be our mentality. We are to be a joy-filled, spirit-filled people. And number seven, here's what people do the most, I think, and that is that they become, they rebel in it. They say, well, you know what? God ain't going to come through for me. He ain't going to answer my prayer. I'm going to do what I want. I go out and do this tonight. I don't care. I, don't, I ain't going to church no more. I'm going to do this. They rebel in it. And because of that, they fail their test. So let's talk about how to pass your test. See, in order to pass your test, you've got to learn to rejoice. You've got a trial going on outside of you. I know that you do. But this is one of the reasons that when, when we come into the house of God on Sunday morning, as a corporate group, we've been worshiping through the week. But when we come into the presence of God, we bring all of our burdens, we lay them down. We say, you know what? We're going to recenter our focus on the God who is over our trials, who gives us strength in the midst of them, and who's going to pour out His Spirit among us all, who gives us this grace to, to go on. And we worship Him, and we rejoice. Why? Because Jesus suffered for you. The thing about Jesus is He entered into our sufferings and into our pain with us. And so we can rejoice because He's not removed from your trial and from your suffering. He's right there in the middle of it with you. Number two, we can rejoice because in the trial, guess what? We are going to become more like Christ. This trial is designed specifically that if you'll learn to respond by the Holy Spirit, it will make you more like Jesus. Let me tell you something. Some of you all, some of us, you're never going to learn how to truly love until somebody has actually hated you. You're never going to learn how to truly forgive until somebody has hurt you bad enough to where it's hard for you to forgive them. Your love is not true love until that love is genuinely tested. This is what Jesus says. He says, what is it if you love people who love you? He said, even sinners and publicans and tax collectors do that. He said, but what real love is, is when your enemies who hate your guts, you love them and you pray for them. But you're never going to find that out until it's tested. 
Amen. Number three, you graduate. Here's the thing. If you will pass this test, you can rejoice because what you're going through, it has an end goal to it. There's a place God wants to take you and he wants you to, ta- he wants you to go to the next level of maturity in your life and in your ministry and you can graduate and move on. And when you do graduate and move on, guess what? You're going to have a wisdom that will allow you to minister to others and it will allow you to rejoice with others. And here's the thing. Some of the things that we've went through, like even, even in our life just recently with, with Andre, for example, now we can actually mourn with others and grieve with others and say, we know what you're going through. We know exactly what you're going through. And we can respond and give them godly wisdom. Not bitterness. Not, yeah, it stinks. I don't know what to say. That's why we left God. That's why we left faith. Now, that's not the word that we have. We say, no, we found God in the middle of it. We found the peace of God, the joy of God, the presence of God in the middle of it. And we learn to rejoice with others. We learn to mourn with others. And then lastly, we store up treasures in heaven. And here's the thing. You know, you become a pastor, you learn early on, you don't do it for the money. But here, I, I remember one time, uh, I, I was literally in deep contemplation about whether or not being a pastor or getting a real job. Amen, y'all know what I'm talking about. No, anybody? No giggles. All right. But you, 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 I felt such a strong call in the ministry that I could not get away from it. I wanted to get away from it. Whenever, whenever I, I, I was called to pastor this church, I, I looked for other jobs. I tried to find a way. I looked for any way out. And I could not get away from it. And the word that would always come to me, and people would speak to, it, to me to confirm it over and over again, and they said to me over and over again, Son, I know you get worried about money sometimes, but your treasures are in heaven. Your treasures are going to be in heaven. And the Lord reminds me every time that when I go through this trial, my faithfulness to Him in the middle of what I'm going through There's going to be more reward for my faithfulness to Him and for your faithfulness to Him in your trial than you could ever get in this life. No matter what you gain. What's it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What's it profit a man? You're going to go through difficulty, but your treasures are in heaven. So let's finish up right here with these last four verses. Because when you're going through difficulties, you need wisdom. And he says, Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I love what he says there. Let steadfastness have its full effect. Basically saying, you're going through a trial right now. Don't try to get out of it. Let staying under and relying on the Lord and trusting in God have its full effect so that you have endurance. You have patience. You have strength. You have new wisdom. You have new revelation from God. Job went through a trial. He went through complex grief. Lost everything he owned, all of his family in one day. And he says, Lord, you know the way that I take. And when you have tested me, I will come forth like gold. That's what he said. He knew he was going through something where at the end he would see the bigger picture. And he's saying, let this thing have its full effect. Don't try to run from the trial. Don't run from God. Run into God. Let God give you wisdom through this trial, through this hard time. He's going to show you the way that you need to take. And he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Because there's the real problem, folks. We go through our trials, and what we lack in our trials is wisdom. Amen. He says, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Now here's what I love, because wisdom is a little bit different than knowledge. You know, what we have in our... Do you know that right now, knowledge doubles every year? I mean, knowledge right now is exponential. I mean, any, we could ask any question right now. Hit Google, boys. I mean, you're going to get it. Any question. Knowledge is out there. We can, we, you can go to college. We send people to college right now. And you know what? They come out with all kinds of knowledge. They can teach you details about all kinds of different things. And many of you, you got degrees. But guess what? You can be full of knowledge and have absolutely no wisdom and be an f- absolute fool. You can know the I know I know ministers of God that got PhDs that know have knowledge, buddy, know all the isms, Calvinism, Arminianism, superlapsarianism, talk about stuff you don't even know about. And they and 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 they have morally completely failed before God. 
Make the worst decisions. Have absolutely no, no wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom are two different things. Knowledge gives you information, but wisdom knows how to apply it to your life so you know what to do in a given situation. And it comes from the Holy Spirit within. We need biblical knowledge, absolutely, but we need the Holy Spirit to transform it so that it becomes one with us. He says, you're going through a difficult time. What you need to do is ask God for wisdom and the Spirit of truth will flood your soul and give you direction to know where to go in this specific situation. Here's what I want to close with. Jesus what you need to know about him is that he went through the ultimate trial. You remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane about to go to the cross for your sins and he's kneeling down before the Father, sweating great drops of blood. He says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And when they come in to arrest him, Peter pulls out a sword and he says, listen, Peter, put your, put your sword back in its sheath. He said, don't you realize who I am? I could call 12 legions of angels right now to demolish these men and set me free. But you know what Jesus decided to do for your sake? He decided to stay under the trial. He stayed under it. Why? Because he saw the joy that was set before him and therefore he endured the cross. And whatever you're going through right now, Jesus has paved the way for us. What you're going through right now, there is a joy that is set before you. There is a hope that God has for you. He will not withhold any good gift from His children, just like Forrest said last week. But if you're going through something right now, trust me on this, it is God divinely ordained by God so that He can work out something in your life. But it's all upon how you are going to respond. And so in this moment, in this trial, you've got to ask God for wisdom. But see, Jesus went through that trial because He saw me and He saw you around the throne of heaven, praising and worshiping God, saved in glorified bodies. And He said, you know what? It's worth taking the beating. It's worth taking a punch to the face. It's worth shedding my blood. It's worth hanging on the cross and enduring that pain for hour after hour after hour because I see the salvation of so many. And I'm telling you that your trial will bring about some greater measure of healing and salvation and deliverance if you will allow it to have its full effect by the Spirit of God. So I want you to bow your heads with me because this is what you need to pray into this morning. And the first thing that I want to pray about is if, you're, if you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus... Or maybe you want to come back to Jesus because you've strayed and you felt distant from God. God is saying there is no condemnation in Christ. And right now He wants you to look to that cross because there is forgiveness, there is freedom, there is healing. And you want to say right now, I want to repent. I want to turn from my selfishness, from my sin. I want to receive Jesus. I want Him to be the Lord of my life. I want salvation. I want eternal life. You say, that's me. I want to do that right now as an act of faith. Would you just lift your hand and say, that's, that's me. I want to do that. I see a few hands going up right here. Anybody else? So I want to pray for you all that lifted your hands. And for the rest of us, I want you to ask right now, like, what, what trials are you going through? And you need wisdom from God. I believe right now in this moment, He's going to give you wisdom. And so, Father, right now we pray. I pray for these that lifted their hands for salvation. God, you know what they're going through. But, Lord, as a body, we just come to you once again. We confess our sins to you, Lord. We ask you to forgive us of our sins, to wash us in your blood. And we declare that, Lord Jesus, you are Lord over our lives. We believe that you were raised from the dead on the third day, that you went through that trial, and God brought you out of it by raising you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we confess you as Lord of our lives. And your word says that every mouth that confesses, every heart that believes shall be saved. And so, God, whatever trial that we're all going through, I believe that right now, by the power of your Spirit, you're ministering to people's hearts. And I pray, Father, that in this moment, you would grant them wisdom from heaven to know the step to take. But God, give them the strength to endure, to stay under what they're going through, and allow your character to be formed in their hearts, Lord Jesus, so that they can be a reflection of your image and of your glory. Holy Spirit, minister to your people this morning. In Jesus' name, I want you to stand to your feet. And we're going to have a time of ministry.